Welcome this morning if you're visiting here. We always encourage people, if you have a home church, we encourage you to be faithful there if you're looking for a home church. Well, this one's pretty good. I've been here 31 years, so that's got to say something. If it wasn't good, I'd leave. Um, how many of you, just I want to check real quick, how many of you were not here last week? Just give me a, a quick, okay, because last week, okay, most good. We talked last week about um, something that was kind of interesting to me, and, and it was funny, you know, because of the number of comments that I had afterwards on something so fundamental. Um, I, and what I mentioned was this, that over the years, talking with different people and different pastors and different churches and denominations and, and so forth, I became aware that there just seemed to be a, a, a fairly constant focus on sin. And the church that I grew up in, um, you know, we were reminded, the little evangelical church, we got born again, but we were reminded every week, you know what, we're just, we're sinners and, and uh, we're just waiting for our time, we're waiting for the Lord to come back and save us and uh, we're doing our best. And the, the focus was, was very, um, th- there was just an always, a constant reminder that you were always sort of less than worthy. You know, that old saying, sinners saved by grace. Just remember, we're just sinners saved by grace. And um, I, so it was interesting to me because when my parents got divorced and I went away from God for my teen years and just doing, you know, stuff that teenagers do, Canadian heathen for, for eight years, um, and then came back to the Lord at 19. And when I came back to the Lord, I, I basically had said, okay, God, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but I want more than what I had when I was a kid. In other words, I want, uh, there's got to be something more. Because when you get into all the things that you can do in life, I was into sports and I was into drugs and I was into girls and I was into just, there was just so much to do. And I needed a Christianity that gave me something that I was like, whoa, okay. I needed something that was bigger. I needed something that was, uh, you know, and, and the Lord was, was helpful for me with that. Because when I first came back to him, I was over on the other side of the world, and I won't, spare, I won't tell you the whole story, but um, I got touched by the Holy Spirit and felt the power of God and, and literally wept and laughed and wept and laughed for two hours lying on the floor feeling God's presence. And when I came up out of that, I thought, this is better than any drug. This is better than anything else I've ever had. This is... Like, is this what it's like to be with God? Is this what God feels like? Because that, that wasn't the God that I was ready for. The God that I was sort of trained as a little boy was that God that was kind of watching over heaven. And if you'd get it wrong, boom, he'd smack you with a stick, you know, and, and you could never please him. You were never good enough. You were never. And so then coming back to the Lord at 19 and coming over into this other awareness of God and then hearing teaching that wasn't focused on, on sin all the time, but was focused, and, and you know, let me, let me say this, the New Testament is not focused on sin nearly as much as it's focused on what Jesus did for us and what God did about our sin. And so we've, we, 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 we began to open that up last week, and we talked about um, our own inability to please God, our own inability because of our sin nature, and how important it is 
to not keep ourselves focused on sin, but to focus on, on what Jesus has done. You can focus on your failures or you can focus on the new creation that you've been made. And I made a statement last week, if you've been born again, your spirit nature has changed. So some of the sayings that we use, like, well, I'm just dying to self right now. Well, if self is a new creature, then why would you die to that new creature? Say, well, I'm dying to self is a focus on the flesh. It's interesting because in Romans, Paul says that if you focus on the flesh, you will never overcome it. Those are my words. If you focus on the flesh, you'll always think there's more. And if you look in the Middle Ages, this is why uh, people got into um, asceticism and self-flagellation and, and doing all kinds of things to try and please God because they, came, they became aware of the fact that in my flesh, I can never make God happy. And so we came up with all these rules of things that you have to do. And the harder you are on yourself the more holy you are. And Paul says in Colossians that all of that is just the works of the flesh and does nothing to get you closer to God. So one of the dangers that we have in the church is that because we've been born again or because we come into the church, we become aware of the fact that this thing called sin is there. But God never wants us to park on sin. He wants us to park on what Jesus has done about sin because that sets you free and moves you into his destiny for you and moves you into the calling. Yeah. So, so what, what stirred me um, in the last few weeks when I was thinking about this was just the constant that coming from going from different churches and hearing them sin, 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 sin. And I thought, you know what? We need to talk about that. We need to talk about, do we sin? Yeah. Do we blow it? Yeah. But go with me to Romans chapter 3, and let's, let's touch base real quickly on this. Fundamental truth, you guys. This is, this is core Christianity. This was Paul's revelation. This is what God told Paul to write about. This is what God showed him when he took him to heaven. This is what God showed him when he caught him up and he would begin to see things. He, he showed him the revelation that was so revolutionary that even until Paul's death, the church didn't have it. But he had him write it in the, in the book and he had him write as much as, as he could. And you'll see this theme over and over and over again in Paul's epistles. He starts out talking about what God's done for you. And then as a result of what God's done for you, he says, now you begin to act this way. In other words, because this has happened on the inside of you, if you'll begin to do this, you'll bring what's on the inside out and it'll start to work in your life. Paul's the one that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, where's the limit on that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can run a business. How can I run it? I can run a business through Christ who strengthens me. Imagine if, if Jesus ran your business. The only problem is most of us don't want to give him ownership because then he takes it. And he says things like, yeah, take your profit from uh, last month and I want you to give it all to that orphanage over there in such and such a place. I learned a long time ago that there's many Christian business people, but there's not very many kingdom business people. And we're learning to make that shift. We're learning to be willing, but, but uh, the, the blessing comes from the inside. So in the first two chapters of Romans, Paul explains that because of the fall of man, the sin nature was passed on to all of his kids. 
which is all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, right up to us, and there was nothing we could ever do to earn God's acceptance. This is what he talks about in Romans first. If you ever, they call Romans the cathedral of Christian doctrine. It's an amazing book. It's one of those books that you want to go through slowly. A lot of times people will just kind of look at it and go, well, that's too much for me. But what Paul talks about in Romans is the core and the heart of what the gospel is. I love it. There's just so much in it. So he goes through everybody's sinners, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you do sacrifices of bulls and goats and all of that, none of that is going to give you righteousness with God. But he makes a transition in Romans chapter 3, and we pick it up in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. So notice that. It's the righteousness of God, but through faith, it goes to all and on all who believe. Hmm, okay, so what am I supposed to believe? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. And we talked about that last week, that God is the one who justifies us. You can't justify yourself. Until you get born again, your heart is still, your nature is still separated. But when you receive Jesus, God looks at you and says, you are now just. I like what one guy said, just as if I'd never sinned, justified. Just as if I'd never done it. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a better word there is atonement. He was my atonement by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Okay, now stop right there for a minute. God is about to demonstrate his righteousness. Right? So he's talking about his righteousness. He's about to demonstrate. How are you going to demonstrate your righteousness, God? What are you going to do to demonstrate? Are you going to judge us? Is that how you're going to demonstrate righteousness? Boom! Drop the hammer and, you know, cut the devil in half. And No, look at what he says. to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. And you remember last week, I talked about that was in the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, their sins were never forgiven. They were just passed over. They couldn't be forgiven because Adam was the one who committed the sin of high treason. So it took another human to, to atone for that sin. So all the blood of bulls and goats and all of that just passed over, passed over, passed over. The Bible says, until the seed should come in Galatians to whom the promise was made. Jesus said this, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. So God passed over all of those sins for 4,000 years. That's why we said to you before that those people that were there that, that had their sins passed over, were not in heaven. Remember, we talked about uh, Sheol had two compartments. One was the place of torment, and the other one was the place of Abraham's bosom. And that's why Dives, the guy, it's, it's not a parable, but the guy, <clears throat> the rich man in Lazarus, the rich man died and was taken to hell. The, the, um, the uh, beggar died and was taken to Abraham's bosom. And then there's this conversation and, and uh, Abraham says to him, look, he can't come over there because there's a great gulf fixed between the two of us. Remember, we talked about that last week a little bit. 
So there was a place, Sheol, the two compartments. So the righteous dead for 4,000 years went to that place. They went to that place called Abraham's bosom. It was called Abraham's bosom and not Adam's bosom or Abraham's bosom because Abraham was the first one who God cut the covenant with that was about to cause the redemption of all of mankind. My son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. So because Abraham covenanted with God, there was people in there, but once the covenant was established, God said that place is Abraham's bosom because Abraham is my covenant. And that's why Paul goes in in the New Testament and talks about that if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are the seed of Abraham, right? The Jews are the natural seed of Abraham, but Paul talks about if you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and you're heirs according to the promise. And of course, you know that when Jesus died, and, and paid the penalty for our sin in the place of torment, then he went across to the place of Abraham's bosom, and the Bible says he preached to the captives, and then he led captivity captive. So he preached to them, got there and said, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for, I'm the son of God, I've paid the price for your sins. They believed on him, and he emptied that place out, and for the first time in history, in the history of mankind, all of those souls then went to heaven for the first time. There was nobody, Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. And no man is descended except the son of man who came down from heaven. So it gives us a very clear picture. So when you read something like this, where it says that he passed over the sins that were previously committed, that was Old Testament, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, let's keep reading, that he might be just and that he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Are you still listening? Okay, I realize we, 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 we jumped right in again here, but this is so core to understanding who you are and what you are in Christ. As a matter of fact, without this, you'll struggle with guilt and shame for most of your life. Because as Christians, when we get born again, do you remember when you were out in the world? You could just do everything the world did, right? We didn't know. We'd get drunk and have sex and go and do stuff and do drugs and, and all that kind of stuff. And well, that was what, that's what the world does. But when you get saved, all of a sudden, your spirit starts to know right from wrong. And one of the problems, and this is what the devil has done to us, is that when you get saved, he brings back, because all of a sudden you have a conscience now, he starts to bring things to your attention about how, well, you're not a very good person. Well, what about all that? Like I said you know, before, <clears throat> that the devil comes up and reminds you of what your life, he'll come and say this. You know, you're going through this problem right now because of what you did before you were born again. Right? Remember that? I said this in the first service, <clears throat> you know, once you've been born again, the bloodline stops everything from the past trying to get through into who you are now as a new creation. That blood shut the door to all that stuff back there. So don't let the devil tell you, well, you know, this is happening for what kind of a life you live. You're not the same person anymore that you were before you got born again. Thank God. I look at myself now. I, I, it's funny because... I look at the old me back then and I think, how did I, how did I even, I used to swear a lot. But because I was raised in church, I never said Jesus and I never said God damn. I just knew, don't say that. Because I was raised in church, I knew God was there and I thought taking the name of the Lord in vain is one of the big 10, right? Like the 10 commandments, like don't do that. So I just, but I would drop F-bombs all over the place. 
I mean, really, why? Because you don't, you're just crude. You're just stupid, you know? Dear God, thank you, Jesus. And I look back now at that, and I think, the new creation on the inside of me is so different than that guy back there. Because the life that was in my spirit that I didn't know I could have like that came alive and recreated me. I'll give you another illustration. I, I, I felt in school, there was two things in school. I didn't want to be there. Because I would be so much more fun out playing sports or skiing or doing anything other than taking calculus. I still believe that there's no calculus in heaven. But, but going through, through school, and as you, you've heard me say before, and, and struggling with math, and struggling with, with different marks, I had no interest. I just was like, why am I even here? I'm doing this because I have to do this. So I came out of school thinking that I was dumb. I came out of school thinking, you know, some of the guys in class were just really smart. My sister is really smart. She got straight A's. My, my brother <clears throat> pretty much got straight A's through uh, all of the different kinds of tests and, and never studied anything. And I was like, well, how come I didn't get that? How come he got all the smarts, you know? And I came out of that with a, until I got born again, until I came to the Lord. And when I came back to the Lord, the hunger for truth opened something on the inside of me and I started digging and started eating and started taking the word of God and, and what I was doing and I didn't even know it but I was feeding the new nature of the greater one that's on the inside of me. I was feeding the new creation and I started to learn things and I remember going to Bible school and I thought, oh man, school, what's this gonna be like? I don't wanna go to school but I was so hungry for truth that I got straight A's all the way through two years of it and I came out of Bible school thinking, I'm not dumb. You know what? That's a good thing. Because yeah. <laughs> if, if you feel that way now, at whatever age you're at, then you haven't tapped in to the spirit man and the new creation on the inside of you because the guy that's been born again on the inside of you is not dumb. He's got the very wisdom of God on the inside of him and all you have to do is tap on that and pull it out. Oh, I can tell you stories, but I gotta get to this. So that he, God, demonstrates at the present time his righteousness. He's just, and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. When I received Jesus' sacrifice, listen to this sentence, as sufficient for my sin, God exchanges my old nature for the new nature in Christ Jesus, and God receives me. At the moment that I receive Jesus as my Savior, the nature of sin in my spirit is done away with, and the new nature of Jesus Christ comes alive in my spirit. The moment that I say, God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe you died for me. What that means, and remember this, we said in, in Romans 5.17, <clears throat> Paul said this, that righteousness is a gift from God. If it's a gift, there's nothing you can ever do to earn it. If righteous, I'm talking about the state of righteousness, the, the, the position of being right before God has nothing to do with your church attendance has nothing to do with how much you read the Bible, has nothing to do with how much you pray. All those things are good. The Bible says we should do all those things, but those things don't indicate whether or not I'm righteous. 
And again, it's unfortunate because what we do in church is we develop religious requirements that unless we fulfill those requirements, we don't measure up. God reverses that whole thing and said, you never could measure up, so I'm just, so I'm going to justify you, and the moment I justify you, you measure up. And at that moment, we begin to do things for God because of what he's done for us. Now, what this means is that God has already accepted you. He's not mad at you. He's not judging you, and you don't have to do anything for God to accept you. <laughs> Remember this part. Paul said in Colossians 2 <clears throat> that Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Remember I said that last week? That, that, that handwriting of requirements was a certificate of debt. In other words, the sin of Adam that I received as an inheritance from great-great-great-grandpa Adam, thanks so much, Adam, for killing me and giving me the death nature, that nature had a whole bunch of things legally listed against it that, that, that forbid me from being able to walk with God. And the Bible says that Jesus took that certificate of debt, which was contrary to us, and he nailed it to the cross, completely fulfilling it, so that the devil can never come to me and say, what about those sins right there? What about that? No, 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 no. The devil, you can't do that, devil. You can't remind me of that because Jesus nailed it to the cross. My old nature died. It's an interesting thing. You know what? When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. He won't remind you much more after that. Just say something like, do the words black smoky pit of hell mean anything to you? Because he's destined there and you aren't. Right? So the legal case which the enemy could have used against us is now null and void. Because of our own righteousness? No, because he made me his righteousness. Hallelujah. So glory to God, I've been made righteous. But that's just the beginning. <laughs> righteousness is the doorway to something huge. Righteousness is the crack in this kingdom that as far as you can see, either way, there's more. You have, to, you have to think of it this way. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to restore to man what Adam lost. Adam was eternal. Meaning that in his present state, he would live forever. But when he sinned, he lost his eternalness. But now think about this. You've been reborn by the Spirit of God, and the Bible says that that's been brought life and immortality to light. So what Adam lost was his eternalist, eternalness. What we have gained as the new creation, new creation is immortality. What does that mean? I'm not subject to the rules of mortality. Yes, this flesh one, way, one day will die, but even at that, the Bible says, Job says this, I know that in my flesh one day I will see God. This body is going to get resurrected as a physical body. 
right? Everybody's going to get, y'all know that, you're going to get your physical body back. As a matter of fact, at the end of the age in the great white throne judgment, everybody gets a physical body back, the righteous and the unrighteous. And the body that I'm going to get, a little bit taller. And I notice as I get older, these little bag things come right here. I'm like, where'd those come from? Get that out of there. But I'm not going to get a skin tightening, so don't worry about it. So go with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're talking about, so this is what we talked about. And so last week, if, if this is new to you, I encourage you, go online and get the message from last week. Just get the message on righteousness because we really dug into it so that people could see a whole bunch of scriptures on the fact of what God has done made me righteous. But, but think about this. God didn't stop with righteousness. That's the legal description of my spirit, man, but sonship is who I am. Ooh, sonship, what, what does that mean? Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Ladies, that's you too. If us guys can be the bride of Christ, ladies, you can be sons of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, I gotta stop right there. That's not talking about water baptism. But unfortunately, the, the word that we use Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, to cover, or to put into. But Paul's not talking about the flesh right here. He's talking about the spirit, man. That's why he says you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So he can't be talking about your flesh because you're still a daughter. Right? You follow me? It's, it's the language here, and we get confused by the language. For you are all sons of God... Through faith in Jesus Christ, for as many of you as were immersed into Christ. That's talking about your spirit. Your spirit got immersed into Christ <clears throat> when you got born again. So Paul's talking about the spirit man. Let's keep reading. Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Well, he's obviously talking about the spirit there, isn't he? Where there's neither Jew nor Greek... Well, that's, that's cultural. So you could say there's neither black nor white. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Chinese nor Korean. There's neither, what's he talking? Well, if you got born again and you're Japanese, you're still Japanese. Right? If you got born again and, and you're bald, you're still bald. I see that message went to, you know, the Bible says that God's got every hair on your head numbered. Some of you need to believe for the full count. <laughs> Actually, bald is in now. So people are like, I like my bald, just let me. It's kind of neat because from up here with these lights that are shining, there's certain ones of you that just glow in the congregation. <laughs> What were you just saying? I say that to say because the outward man didn't change. The outward man stayed the same. So he's obviously talking about the spirit when he says there's no Jews or Greeks. You look around here, they say there's no black or white. There's no Asians or, or, or Europeans. There's no, why? Well, there is. Look around. 
But you've got to get this. Paul's focus all through his epistles is on the inner man and what's happened to the inner man and how do we get that darn inner man out? How do I live by the part that's neither black nor white? I'm going to tell you something. This right here will answer all the gender identity issues that there are. If you're a believer, listen, 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 listen. If you're a believer and you're struggling with gender things, I always wanted to be a man. I always wanted to be a girl. I wanted to, that's something, you guys, that the devil is really going after the younger generation right now because if you move away from who you are in Christ, what are you? What do you become? And so for a generation to be struggling with, well, I'm not sure if I'm a boy or a girl, and it gets carried away now where there's 120 pronouns where you might be a cat. You laugh, but you've heard about the schools that, are, that, that got kitty litter in the rooms. What is that? It's a lack of identity because the devil will do anything to steal who you are in Christ because the moment you don't know who you are in Christ, what are you? Am I a girl? Am I a boy? If I'm a girl and I like riding motorcycles, maybe I should have been a boy. But as Christians, God doesn't put the wrong spirit in the wrong body. So the answer for, for gender identity is who you are in Christ. Because when you come into Christ, he begins to show you from the inside out. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in me that makes me fully a man or fully a woman. It's Christ in me that brings the revelation of my purpose and my destiny on earth. It's Christ in me. I'm glad I'm a man. I like being a man. You can do stuff. You can wash your hair in a minute. You can shower in three minutes and be dry by four. You don't have to put makeup on in the morning. And you know what? Ladies, I'm glad you're ladies. Because you get up and you spend that extra 45 minutes making it all look nice and you come in here with a little paint, you know, and little, little hair stuff and stuff like that and, 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 and you look better that way. And we like it when you get dolled up and all the men said, let's keep reading before I get too far off on that. Okay, so he's not talking about you being baptized. As many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. Keep reading, verse 28. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at the next line. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Oh. Heirs, I'm an heir. Somebody made a promise. And there's an inheritance waiting for me. That's what, you know, this is what happened when somebody dies, right? Let's say your dad died. I remember when my dad died. And he died at 58. He was too young. Shouldn't have died that. And, and you know, it was sad and, and we mourned and everything like that. And then the lawyer called. And the lawyer said, your dad left a will. Well, I didn't know how much money my dad had or didn't have. He was a businessman. So we were like, well, we, and dad was a believer, so he was in heaven. 
So you have to mourn, you have to process that. But the lawyer called and said, so, so your dad, so, so a buzz broker, um, uh, has set me to be the, the lawyer for the uh, estate, and so we want to meet you all on such and such a day. So we all came, because we wanted to find out, what did I inherit? What did I get? What came out of this? And it wasn't selfish, it wasn't, I mean, we would way rather have had dad than what he left us. But it made me think, hmm, what did dad leave me? Which makes you and I think, what is this inheritance? Go with me to Colossians chapter one. See, if you're righteous, if you've been made righteous, you're a son. If you're a son, there's an inheritance waiting for you. And though there are some things that are the same for all of us, some inheritance things, the fact that you got born again, the fact that Holy Spirit is there, the fact that the gifts of God, the armor of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the inheritance things goes to the whole family. Your calling is part of that inheritance. It's one of the things I began to seek God on immediately when I came back to him and said, what am I calling? What did you call me to be? What am I supposed to be in this earth? Am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to take over my dad's businesses and be a businessman? Is that what you've called me to do? Or is there something else? And as I pursued him along those lines, he began to show me things about what the purpose was for my life. I'm telling you, when you discover purpose, doesn't matter what happens around you, you never give up. You never quit. You take some blows. You take some hardship. But once you've got purpose, what am I here for? I believe it was um, George Whitefield that said this. And he was, uh, had a, a tre- tremendous revival in the 19th century in, um, in New York. He said, I ask the Lord every day. This is my prayer. Let me finish my assignment. Don't let me be taken before my assignment is done. I thought that's a good prayer. I start praying that prayer. I started praying that prayer some time ago. If you, I just want to throw this in. If you don't have a clear understanding of that assignment, what your assignment is, get the stuff that we've done here on knowing the will of God. It's one of my, it's one of my core messages, one of my heart messages. How do I know the will of God? Can you imagine being in a church, a church like this of this size, and everybody's walking in the will of God for their life? Can you imagine what would happen when we come in on Sunday and everybody's walking in God's will for their life? Doesn't mean we don't blow it. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But that doesn't, that doesn't change your destiny. When your purpose is to, is to press on and go forward, imagine what would happen when God looks down and goes, those people are all walking in alignment. Boom, here, have 500 gigawatts. <laughs> Colossians 1, verse 12. Talking about what did we inherit? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Who qualified me? The Father qualified you. To do what? To be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He qualified me for this inheritance. I didn't have to qualify. He did it. Why? Because I'm a son. When you're a son and dad dies, you get what dad left you. Whether you're a jerk or a nice person, you still get it. Why? Because you're a son. That's why. Keep reading. Notice the first blessing. He's delivered me from the power of darkness. Oh, wait a minute. What? Has delivered is past tense. 
Somebody said, well, I'll be delivered from the power of the devil when I'm in heaven. Well, why would you need to be delivered when you're in heaven? He won't be there. How's delivered? What does darkness mean to you? What does darkness represent to you? I've been delivered from the power of darkness. Huh. And conveyed, better word is transferred, and transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption. That's present tense. Somebody says, well, I'll have redemption when I get to heaven. You know, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And when I get to heaven, I'll have them. No, you're a son now. Sons get the inheritance now. I've been redeemed now. Now I've been set free. Now I've been moved out of the power of the kingdom of darkness. Now I can go, wait a minute, devil. You can't do that here because I'm not in your kingdom anymore. This isn't something that I have to get smart enough to earn. It's something that happened because God said, oh, look at that. You're under the sway of the devil. Born again. Let's move you over into the kingdom of the son of my love. That means there's a line drawn there, and this is something the church has only learned in the last 40 years, that we can turn around and look at the devil and say, back off, turkey. I'm not taking that from you. I refuse that. I'm not having that. You can't put that on me. I like what my wife says. I don't partner with you. I don't agree with you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Now, that's a learned thing as you learn to walk in degrees. Because when you first start out and you got teeny wee little faith, you're just used to it. I know people who said, well, you know, every year in the fall, I get the flu. I just had the flu all these years, you know, and I just get it every time in the flu. Well, wait a minute. There's no flu in heaven. And when you get that revelation and, and, and you, you know, it's October the 3rd and you wake up on a Sunday morning just when you wanted to go to church and worship Jesus. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this what happened. And immediately, oh, there's that, there's that flu again. Darn it, I knew it was going to come this year. And the devil will come and jump on a sneeze and make you think you're going to die. But you go, then you get the revelation. You're like, wait a minute. I've been delivered from the kingdom of flus. I've been delivered from that. And at that moment, you start to learn how to resist. No, no. That's not in the kingdom of light. Christ himself took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses, and by his stripes I was healed. I, I'm not doing that. And you learn to walk in that over the years to where you get sick less and less. You know what I hate? I hate throwing up. <laughs> Bowing before the porcelain altar. That is my idea of nothing to do. Throwing up is just like, it's like, oh man, oh man. It's the worst of the worst, you know? So I decided years ago, I don't like throwing up. So I'm not doing it anymore. Not going to get sick. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to fight and you don't have to stand. And I'm not going to go eat three pounds of sugar just because, I, you know, I'm not going to try and do. But, but it was like, Lord, I'm going to exercise my faith to not have to, to not do it. Why? Because I'm delivered from the kingdom of darkness. I'm delivered from those kinds of things. And you learn to walk in that more and more. And you know what happened? I got less sick further apart. All because of the revelation that I've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. What does darkness represent to you? 
One guy said it like this. He said, you know what? He said, you get, you get the revelation of this. And he says, the devil will come up to your door and knock on the door and you open the door. And he goes, here's your sickness. And you go, wait a minute. In the name of Jesus, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm not taking that sickness. So he'll go, hmm. So he'll flip the chart and go, okay, well, it's a mild virus. And we go, could be a mild virus. I'm not taking that mild virus in the name of Jesus. No, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that. He'll stand there with that symptom and just go through whatever the flip chart is and say, well, you've got a nose infection. Darn it, I knew I got that nose infection again. <laughs> and the moment you do that, he rips the prescription off and just hands it through the door and you walk away with my nose, my, my nose infection. That's where you stand and you go, no, in Jesus' name, I'm not having that. I remember coming into work years ago I mean, sick as a dog. Just coming in and just, you just feel horrible, you know. It's amazing how far you can go with caffeine, Sinutab, and Advil. <laughs> but back then, I wasn't taking any of those things because I felt like that would affect my faith. And I came in and sat in my office just sat there. There's only four of us on staff. Just sat there, couldn't focus, couldn't do anything. Only thing I could do is pray in tongues. And I thought to myself, there's only one reason I'm here. I'm here because I'm resisting the kingdom of darkness. I wanted to be home in bed so bad. How many times have I come in here on, on a Sunday morning? How many times have you come in on a Sunday morning? Didn't feel like coming. Didn't feel anything. Get up here with a sore throat. Get up here feeling sick. Get up here in the moment you get down from here and go home and the anointing lifts you. Drop into bed so you can recover. But you come because you say devil in your face in Jesus' name. I've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Now back off, you turkey. You only do that a few times and you start winning more. in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Talking about right now. Now, what's the, what's the most popular verse in the Bible? Go to John 3.16. I want to show you a couple of things here that might mess you up a little bit. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well-known verse. If you're, if you're a student at all uh, and you go to the original languages, you can always find things that are interesting because the Bible says that if you've been put into Christ, you're a new creation, creation, right? Therefore, if any man be in Christ. So the word here says whoever believes in him is actually translated, the in is actually translated over 500 times into so it's a more accurate reading that whosoever believes into him. Because when you believe, you get put into him. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting, the, the, the verse before it, John three fifteen says eternal life. And I remember looking this up years ago. The, the, the book of John has 41 times the word life. It has the word life in it more than any other book in the Bible except Psalms and Proverbs. Life, 41 times John says life. I am come that you might have life. He that believeth in me hath life. I came to bring you life and more abundantly. Life, life, life. He's trying to get, and here's the deal. 
And this is this this will light your candle. I'm telling you. I looked it up and the definition, the Greek word is the word zoe. Zoe. D-Z-O-A. The way they say it, we would just say Zoe. Z-O-E. And this is what it means. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you'll get it. Life in the absolute sense. Life as God himself has it. Wait a minute. What does absolute mean? The, absolute's the end, right? I mean, that's where, where do you go from absolute? It's absolute. Something that's absolute is that there's no further, there's nothing more. It's absolute. That's the end. That's the thing. That's the, that he says, Zoe is life in the absolute sense. That is life that is unconquerable. It's untouchable. It's unmovable. It's undefeatable. It's, 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 it's the very life force of God himself that gives life to every creation. Every created thing comes out of this force of life called Zoe. In him was life and the life was the light of men. It was that life that created everything around us, created the physical realm. Absolute life. It was that life that when Moses said, I want to see your face, and God said to him, you can't look on my face because you still got a sin nature. It's in your flesh, but not only that, it's in, your, it's, in your, it's in your spirit. Your spirit man hasn't been born again. You can't look, listen, you can't look on my face and live because Moses turning towards God and God turning towards Moses, the force of the life of God would just eradicate the sin. Sin can't come into God's presence. The life force of God just abolishes sin. It's, it's life, you guys. It's unconquerable life. It's eternal, everlasting, un, unchanging life. It's the force of life that runs the universe. And we read John 3.16 for all those years. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes into him has Zoe life. So the life force that created the universe got put into your spirit when you said yes to Jesus. What if you could get that out into your mind? That's what revelation is. What if you could get, what if you could get the life force of God? You ever wonder why the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim, they're just around God 24-7, week, month, years, decades, centuries. Holy, 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 holy. That's all they do. Day and night, the Bible says, holy, holy. Why? Because they're sitting there and the fount of all life, God himself, they're standing around this God who out of him, life just goes. He just exudes. It just comes out of him. And, and every time that life comes out, see, they see revelation. They see something in God. They see something they never saw before. They are aware of a part of God they never even knew existed. So some new part of God's who he is comes out of God and goes into them and all they can ever do is holy, 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 
Revelation, revelation. Life flows over their heart, over their soul. Lost in his presence. Because he's the source of all life. And that life got put inside your spirit when you got born again. Don't ever say for the rest of your life, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When you do that, you walk up to Jesus and you just slap him in the face and say the cross wasn't enough. I'm still a sinner. I just got saved by grace. It's an affront to the righteousness of the God who is just and the justifier of those who believe in him. You've been made a saint, bless God. And that life burns on the inside of us. It's that life that loves to come in here and have its expression in praising and in joy and in worshiping. That life coming out of us today causes us to dance, causes us to shout, and it causes us to become like little children. And Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. That's why so many people struggle with having that life come out of them. They got born again on the inside, but their soul is the gatekeeper for their spirit and won't let the life of the spirit come out and be an expression of his goodness and his joy and his power and weeping because his presence is so good because we won't let the life out of our spirit. Your spirit knows what to do, but you gotta let it. Well, that's not our culture. Fooey on our culture. We need heaven's culture. That's what this church is supposed to be for, is heaven's culture. Bringing heaven's culture in here when we come together. Not Eastern culture or Western culture and intellectual culture. I know people who are intellectual and they're brilliant and their spirits basically got a 60-watt bulb running in the basement. You have all kinds of stuff in your brain and be as dumb as a goose in a blizzard. Why? Because your and my walk with God is not based on our intelligence. I know people with PhDs in theology. And they're as dumb as a brick when it comes to the things of the spirit. Because they don't let the life flow out of their spirit. And instead they got a brain that's so full of doctrines and theologies they can barely get through the door. I'd rather have a spirit full of life. I want to finish with something that I, I started with. I mentioned this last week, and I knew I had to come back to it. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Little Holy Spirit just brought a little thought out. Why should it be so strange? For those of us who've got the very supernatural life of God burning in our spirit, man, the creative force of the universe, why should it be strange for us to speak in a language that nobody else understands? I mean, how simple can it, can it be? You get filled with the Holy Spirit and you get haramushoria. Well, now you're getting carried away too far. Bless God, are you serious? You know what's in my spirit? I've got six million gigawatts of life in my spirit, and this is one way to get it out to pray, 
in a, in a tongue that I don't even understand. Why? Because my tongue can pray about 50 gigawatts an hour, boy. I mean, we just, away it goes. We limit the supernatural by our understanding of the practical. Well, what if your church gets carried away? Good. If you get too crazy, we'll, we'll bring you back down to, to earth for a little bit. You know, like David did when he stripped down to his underwear and started dancing on the way in. We probably can't go that far here. <laughs> and somebody's like, I was thinking it. Do that one at home for about six months first. Ask your wife, you'll get an honest opinion. <laughs> Honey, put your clothes back on. It's detracting. Hebrews 9. Here Paul is contrasting the effect of the sacrifices under the old covenant with the sacrifice of Jesus in the new covenant. Okay? That's what he's doing. So notice this. <clears throat> 9.13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now notice this part. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Whoa. Cleanse my conscience? So that so that my conscience isn't always condemning me? Cleanse my conscience. You can cleanse my conscience? Look at, look at chapter 10, verse 1. Paul finishes the thought here. For the law, having the shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with these same sacrifices, okay, this is the Old Testament again he's talking about, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach, what's the next word? Perfect. There's that perfect thing. The qualification to get into heaven is perfection. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't build something that God says good enough because every time you do that, you're holding up something to God and saying, you owe me salvation because of what I've done for you. Right? So perfection only comes from him who is just and the justifier of us. So this is what he's talking about. <clears throat> Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, that is, those sacrifices, for the worshipers once purified. Have you been purified? Huh? Either you have or you ain't. You either purified in your spirit or you ain't. If you're born again, you're purified and destroyed. Why? Because he was just and he's the justifier. So you got, you, you, got to, you got to catch what he's saying here. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. Oh, wait a minute. The implication is that once you're purified, you have no more consciousness of sins. Are, are you in the same Bible I'm in? Come on, you guys. This is Paul talking to the Hebrews, telling them, you guys, all the law and all that stuff that you've done, it was all good for its time, but the final sacrifice has been made and you've been purified by faith. And because, look at that, and because you're purified, you would have no consciousness of sins. Amen. 
Now, I've got to balance this out. Somebody says, oh, he's saying we don't sin. No, 1 John says, if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. I'm not saying that. Why? Because we blow it. And when you blow it, you repent. And the blood of his son, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Right? That's, but the nature changed. When the nature changed, something was supposed to happen. So I did something interesting. I looked up the word consciousness. The Greek word for consciousness means this. Follow this thought. The sense of guiltiness before God. So let's read it with that. For the worshipers, that's us, once purified, because of what Jesus did, would have no more sense of guiltiness before God. You and I are supposed to walk through life without a continual sense of guilt before God. And how many people have I talked to in the last many years who struggle with guilt and shame every day? Look up at me. You can walk free of guilt and shame. You can walk free of guilt and shame. You can walk free of guilt and shame because of what he did for us. It's our Father's desire that we live without guilt and shame. Listen to this sentence. The revelation of this is huge. I can fellowship with my... I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if you're ready. I don't know if you... I can fellowship with my father without any sense of being unqualified or unworthy to come into his presence. Now, I don't know about you. When I go to heaven, when I see Jesus, I don't care if he's a thousand miles away. Oh, boom, on the ground. Jesus, oh, I've been waiting so long. I love you, I love you. But, but it's not the sense of unworthiness. It's the sense of what you did for me. You, you changed me. You made me me. You gave me destiny. You gave me life. You gave me my wife and my kids. You gave me a church. You gave me influence. You did all this, and, and, and you're so worthy. But there's no sense of being unqualified because he qualified me. Think about this. Imagine if you come home from work, guys, and you got a couple little kids, one's three and one's five, you know, and you come in and you call your kids, hey, everybody, I'm home, come and give me a hug, and your five-year-old comes in, drops as soon as he sees you, oh, dad, I am so unworthy to come into your presence. Oh, father, I know that you love me, but I messed my diaper today, and I'm... I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. If you would just forgive me, I know I've been saved by grace. Oh, God. You would think, what is the matter with this kid? I raised you better than that. So do you do that with God? Open your Bible to read. Lord, I know I haven't been a good Christian this week. And he's like, oh. When you sin, repent. When you sin, don't run from God. Run to him. As soon as you sin, oh, I did it again. I was driving on deer foot. (laughs) Repent. And then receive your forgiveness. And then receive your cleansing. And then walk for the rest of the day without guilt and shame. Walk through the day without shame. Stand up.
Stand up, stand up. Do you ever wonder why Paul said in this same thing, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the presence of God? How come he said that in, in, in Hebrews 4? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace because he knew that the devil would work on people to say, you can't go into the presence of the Father, you're not good enough. Paul's whole revelation over and over and over. Circumcision won't do you any good. Keeping the sacrifices won't do you any good. When you get born again, you're accepted. But knowing what we would be facing 2,000 years later, he wrote down by the Holy Spirit, let us therefore come boldly to the throne. Why do you come boldly? Because you don't feel like it. How many times have I walked up to the throne with my tail between my legs and said, God, I am only here because you said that I'm supposed to come here and I don't feel worthy and I don't seem like it's worthy because of my life right now, if I was this or that, but I'm not here because of that, because you made me worthy, because you qualified me, and you told me to come to the throne, so here I am, I'm obtaining my mercy, thank you for the mercy, I receive the mercy that washes away the garbage of what I did this week, and I thank you for the grace that takes me to the next level that I keep walking in, thank you for grace, I've said this to the Lord many times, Lord, I never want to take advantage of your grace. Just, you know, just, I can do anything, just grace, just get away with it. But then I say this, today I take full advantage of your grace. You get that sentence right there and you see what I mean? You'll get it, you'll, you'll get it. Do you want to sin? No. I'm not talking to people who want to sin. I'm talking to people who don't want to sin, but we still blow it. And when you blow it, throw it away, get the blood, put it on there and say, no guilt. And then don't let the devil bring the guilt back. Close your eyes for a minute. If you're a person that's in here and you deal with shame, then go to the Lord right now. You're a new creation in Christ. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He's not judging you. He made you his child. And he wants you to be able to walk right up to him and say, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. I'm so thankful. You did for me what I could never do. And because of that, I shrug off the guilt and I shrug off the shame of not measuring up. I shrug that off. Some of you need to do that right now. You got to shrug that thing off and say, like taking a pack off of your back, unstrap that thing, unstrap that shame, that guilt, and let it fall to the ground. You've made me a new creation. And you never want me to walk in shame. So I drop that shame right now. And I refuse to walk in shame. When I sin, I'll repent. When I blow it, I'll confess it, but I'm going to come running right back up to you again. And you want me to come to you and jump up in your lap. And we be daddy and son again. Whatever you need to do. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. So I pray this out loud. I want you to pray it in your heart as I pray it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's not about joining a church. It's not about doing all the right things. Yes, good things are good to do. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, be nice to people. All those things are the fruit of the Spirit that come out of us. 
But the revelation of who you are in Christ as a new creation has to be the root of your relationship with him. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then just pray it on the inside while I pray it. And let him make you justified. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you this morning. I realize that because of my great-grandfather Adam's sin, I was born with a sin nature. And I know that I don't measure up. But this morning, I open my heart to you, Jesus, because you paid my price. And when you died for my sins and you were raised from the dead, God said, it's enough. And God accepted what you did for sin. And so this morning, I accept what you did for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I don't understand it, but I choose to believe it today. And I ask you today to become my Lord and my Savior. I ask you today to take over my life and do whatever you want with it. I could never make myself right in God's sight. But as I pray this prayer, you change me on the inside and you make me right because today I choose to believe. Father, I thank you that as I prayed this prayer, you make me your son. And the life that's in my spirit now begins to come out. Give me the wisdom to follow you. Give me the people to help me walk in this walk. I receive you today, Jesus, and I give you my heart and my life. And for those of you that with shame and guilt, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, as a congregation, we stand together and we break the power of guilt and of shame over those who may have dealt with this. Let the revelation of what you did for us, no guilt, no shame, you bore our shame on the cross and you took our guilt to hell and you paid the price. And in the name of Jesus right now, we release life, we release joy, we release freedom, we release the blessings of the grace of God over every person that's here and that's watching online. Free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation and able to walk in my righteousness as a son for you made me righteous and I choose to believe that this morning and I thank you Lord that this congregation has an awareness that we walk as the sons and daughters of God and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen 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 hey if you need prayer this morning come on up we've got some prayers here Remember, if you're hungry, you can stop in next door and support Times and Seasons. But if you need prayer, come on up. Don't leave without prayer if you need some. joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store, follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. 
you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.